0: We have to condense it a little bit, but it's the essence of Daniel 5. So, Madeline,
1: King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem so that the king and his nobles... His wives and his concubines might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem and drank from them. As they drank the wine, they praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Suddenly the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall, near the lampstand in the royal palace, the king watched the hand as, as it wrote. His face turned pale, and he was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. The king summoned the enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. Then he said to these wise men of Babylon, Whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around his neck and he will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or tell the king what it meant. So King Balshashar became even more terrified, and his face grew more pale. His nobles were baffled. The queen, hearing the voices of the king and his nobles, came into the banquet hall. May the king live forever! She said, don't be alarmed, don't look so pale. There is a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the time of your father, he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. Your father, King Nebuchadnezzar, appointed him chief of the magicians, enchanters, astrologers and diviners. Call for Daniel, and he will tell you what the writing means. So Daniel was brought before the king, and the king said to him, Are you, Daniel, one of the exiles my father the king brought from Judah? Now I have heard that you are able to give interpretations and to solve difficult problems. If you can read this writing and tell me what it means, you will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around your neck, and you will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered the king, You may keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. Your Majesty, the Most High God, gave your father Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty and greatness and glory, and splendor. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven away from people and given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys and ate grass like the ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven, until he acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth, And sets them, and sets over them anyone he wishes. But you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you. You and your nobles, your wives, your concubines, drank wine from them. You praise the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot hear or see or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. This is the inscription that was written, Many, Many Tikal Parson. Here is what these words mean, Many. God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tikal, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple, a gold chain was placed around his neck, and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain, and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Knowing that something can have very serious consequences, negative consequences, and doing it anyway is, depending on the situation, either uh, bravery. Pride or foolishness, or maybe a combination of all three. Well, today we're going to focus on pride, and I think actually uh, pride and foolishness are two sides of the same coin. Uh, When I was 18, there was an occasion when I was driving home uh, in the early hours of the morning down some very windy country roads in England. And uh, I decided that with my six months' driving experience, I was qualified to rally the car home, uh, testing my driving skills and the car, my dad's car, to the limit. Well, I made it a few miles before I found myself uh, spinning through 180 degrees and rolling down a steep embankment at the side of the road. Um, They say pride comes before a fall. In my case, uh, pride came before a crash. Uh, The car was a write-off, as you probably tell uh, from that picture. Uh, But I was able to climb out of it through the passenger window because the car was uh, on its side. I made my way back to the road, and my pride was completely deflated. But I was alive. Pride can be fatal, as it was for King Belshazzar. He's referred to as King uh, Belshazzar, but he wasn't officially the king. He was actually co-regent with his father Nabonizer, who had spent a protracted period of time away from Babylon in a place called Timur. Uh So you can imagine uh, Belshazzar having a kind of a spoilt, entitled, rich kid mentality. And we're going to see that he demonstrated his extreme pride in quite a number of ways. Firstly, he fell, held uh, a feast. For a thousand nobles, that's a lot of people to have over for dinner. And it would have been an opulent affair and an opportunity for Belshazzar to demonstrate his wealth and power and to show off. And while he was drinking his wine, and this is uh, another way of saying he was already pretty drunk, uh, he uh, gave orders to bring the gold and silver goblets that had been ransacked from the temple in Jerusalem. So the king, his nobles, wives, and concubines were drinking out of these sacred vessels. By the way, it would have been very unusual for wives and concubines to be present at a feast like that. And the language that's used is quite ambiguous. So it could be that these were other uh, women who were there to uh, entertain the king and his guests. So that probably gives a better idea of the kind of Uh, feast that this was. Anyway, we're told that they were drinking out of these vessels whilst praising their gods of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. This was a deliberate attempt to ridicule the God of the Hebrews, who we know to be the one true God. So these articles that had been made to assist with the worship of the living God, were being used to worship lifeless, man-made gods. It was an act of sacrilege uh, with the express purpose of mocking God. Sacrilege is the violation or the misuse of that which is regarded as sacred. And you might think that sacrilege is not something we really come across in our everyday lives, but actually I think that we do. For example, take the Lord's name, the name of Jesus. Uh, it is sacred, and yet it's used by many as a swear word. Someone asked me just the other day if it's wrong to use uh, the name of God or Jesus in that context. I didn't seem to uh, know whether it's a bad thing or not. So I said, imagine that you've got a bag uh, containing all the most lewd, filthy, um, offensive words that you can imagine. Does the name of Jesus that is precious to so many people belong in that bag with those words? And uh, they seem to get the point. So we can still identify sacrilege, and mocking God is actually very common. Uh, a friend of mine from way back regularly posts anti-Christian memes on Facebook, you know, um, little jokes about uh, God and Christianity. And uh, some of them can be pretty offensive. Interestingly, uh, years ago, I remember him talking about some of the things in the Bible that he found far-fetched, and he actually demonstrated uh, quite a good knowledge of the Bible, which makes me think that he had some kind of Christian background. It's almost as if he fears the possibility of Christianity being true, and so he reduces it to something that he can laugh at. Uh, his mockery is, I believe, an attempt to convince himself that he's justified in disregarding the Christian message, fearful, uh, insecure people will often resort to mockery. And we see it with bullies. They mask their insecurity by belittling other people because it makes them feel better about themselves. And I wonder whether Belshazzar was motivated by uh, some kind of latent fear when he contemptuously mocked the God of the Jews. Well, mocking God is always a mistake, and in this instance, we see uh, that, well, that became evident almost immediately. A human hand appeared in midair and began, began uh, writing on the wall, and to be fair, that is pretty terrifying. Uh, nowadays, we'd probably assume that it was some sort of elaborate prank for a YouTube video and we'd all be laughing and looking around for the camera. Uh, but seriously, we can understand Belshazzar being afraid. It he says he, his face turned pale, his legs became weak, and his knees were knocking, not a very dignified look. I've only ever seen that happen to someone once. Uh, at our last church, um, another uh, youth worker and myself were working with a group of uh, tough kids from uh, inner city estates uh, in London and we'd taken them away to the coast for a week uh, to a place called Cornwall and um, there was a a cliff on the beach and there was a ledge that you could climb up to and you could jump off the ledge uh, not into the sea but onto the beach but it was quite soft shingle, so you could do it fairly safely but it was a decent drop and I went up to test it out and it was okay and then uh, Obi uh, the other youth worker, he went up. I didn't know he was afraid of heights. And as soon as he got onto the ledge and looked down, his legs started shaking uncontrollable. It was the worst case of disco legs I've ever seen. I used to think that kind of thing only happened in cartoons, but it does actually happen to people. And it happened to King Belshazzar. You can't hide your fear when you've turned pale and your legs are shaking. And by the way, Obi did uh, jump in the end, so fair play to him. So uh, Belshazzar was terrified, and he summoned his magical gurus. And he, he said, whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around his neck, and he'll be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. In Babylonian culture, uh, to see a man uh, clothed in purple, you would... Uh, assume that he was royalty so the person who could read this writing translate it uh, would literally be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom after uh, belshazzar and his father nabonidus but true to form the babylonian wise men didn't have a clue they could make neither head nor tail of the writing on the wall in in recent weeks we've uh, seen two similar occasions. You remember that the wise men of Babylon were unable to interpret either of King Nebuchadnezzar's troubling dreams. The wisdom of the world is not all that it's cracked up to be. Human beings have accumulated a huge amount of knowledge, but we're no wiser now than we were in Daniel's day. And now, just as then, there are certain things that only God can reveal to us. Belshazzar called upon his wise men, but they were unable to help him. And today, people look for wisdom in all the wrong places. We make decisions based on social norms. What is everyone else doing? Well, that must be the right thing. Well, probably not. Uh, Many choose to follow the example of celebrities who are themselves often incredibly dysfunctional. Uh, We form opinions based on sound bites and short YouTube clips. We go to Google and we imbibe an incredible amount of information and worldly wisdom without fact-checking any of it. And all the while, we have access to God's Word, the Bible, the teachings of Jesus, the very words that God spoke when he walked among us. Hopefully we've got friends who will pray with us, uh, offer uh, godly advice and guidance. And if we ask him to, God will fill us and continue to fill us with his Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. We have access to God's knowledge and wisdom. The question is, do we tap into it? Uh, Of course, the Bible can't tell us everything we could ever wish to know. I don't look in the Bible when I want to know when the next bus is coming. And to expand our general or specific knowledge, we have to read, study, and learn from a myriad of different sources. But if we want wisdom, the how do I live my life, and what kind of person am I aiming to be kind of wisdom, then our first of call should be God's word. So Belshazzar looked firstly to worldly wisdom, but instead of it being a help, it actually hindered him. Uh, verse 9 says, "So King Belshazzar became even more terrified and his face grew more pale. So things are not looking up for Belshazzar. Uh, then the queen, who was most likely the queen mother, so possibly King Nebuchadnezzar's wife, uh, more likely his daughter, and hopefully the family tree, if it's up there, will, will make that um, a bit clearer. Um, so uh, the queen, as she's called here, but really the queen mother, we think, uh, reminds Belshazzar about Daniel whom Nebuchadnezzar had put in charge of all the wise men of Babylon. By the way, Nebuchadnezzar is repeatedly referred to as Belshazzar's father in this passage, but in the ancient world, to call someone your father meant that you were descended from them. Uh, For example, Abraham is referred to as the father of the Jewish people. So um, Belshazzar was actually King Nebuchadnezzar's grandson. Anyway, Uh, When the queen reminded Belshazzar about Daniel and his ability to interpret dreams, explain uh, riddles, and solve difficult problems, the king sent for him. And it's important to remember that although the king has sent for Daniel, he is actually now looking to the God of Israel because that is who Daniel represents. Isn't it ironic that Belshazzar's only choice, his only option, is now to look to the God that only moments ago he was ridiculing with his drunken revelry, and he offers Daniel the same uh, reward that had been instated as the third highest ruler of the kingdom if he can tell him what this writing on the wall means. In human terms, Daniel is being offered almost limitless power, but he's not seduced by that. He just wants to go on faithfully serving is God as he has always done. And it's probably worth pointing out that Daniel is most likely in his 80s at this point. And he begins by reminding Belshazzar that God gave his grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar, his sovereignty, greatness, glory, and splendor. But because of his pride and arrogance, he was driven away from the people and given the mind of an animal, and we looked at that last week. Basically, Nebuchadnezzar went mad until he was willing to humbly accept the sovereignty of God. When he finally lifted his eyes towards heaven, his mind and his kingdom was restored to him. Uh, Tissa's dad uh, once said, and I don't know who he was quoting, but he said, a wise man learns from his mistakes, but a wiser man learns from other people's mistakes. As a father, I would love my children to learn from my mistakes. I committed my life to Christ at the age of 28, and it was a very bumpy road that brought me to that point. I would love my children to avoid the pain and the turmoil and the heartache that I experienced because I resisted God for so long. So many of us have to learn the hard way, don't we? Uh, We don't learn from the mistakes of other people. We don't even learn from our own mistakes often. And Belshazzar did not learn from the horrible mental decline that his grandfather suffered as a a direct result of his prideful refusal to acknowledge God. And Daniel said to Belshazzar, but you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. And then he talks about the temple goblets and the drinking and the idol worship. So Belshazzar knew about his grandfather being humbled by God. I've no doubt he'd heard the way that God had saved Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the blazing furnace. And that's why I think he feared Israel's God. From his perspective, he may have feared the possibility of there being a God who could bring him down. That's why he got drunk. And he tried to mock God. He tried to reduce God to something he could manage. But it backfired spectacularly. His pride, his arrogance, and his mockery served to expediate God's judgment against him. And that judgment came in the form of the writing on the wall that Daniel interpreted. And this is interpretation. Mene, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. And you might say, well, how come Belshazzar's wise men couldn't interpret that? Well, Mene, Tekel, and Perez sound like the Aramaic for numbered, weighed, and Persia. But those words also mean minor, shekel, and half shekel, which are, which are weights of measure. So there's actually a, a, a clever wordplay uh, going on here. Plus, uh, those wise men may have been very reluctant to um, give their maniacal king such terrible news. Who knows how he would have responded to that. But Daniel uh, didn't hold back. He told the king what it meant. And surprisingly, the king honored his promise and made Daniel the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Not that that counted for much, because that very night, um, Belshazzar was slain, and Darius the Mede uh, took over the kingdom. Mocking God is a serious thing, and in Belshazzar's case, it led to immediate judgment. Belshazzar's pride was quite literally fatal. But the fact is, all human arrogance and pride against god is fatal all human arrogance and pride against god is fatal if we say in our hearts i don't want god i don't need god i don't even acknowledge god's existence then we too will be weighed in the scales and found wanting but it doesn't have to be that way It doesn't have to be that way. Jesus died so that we can be forgiven for all our pride and our arrogance and all the other ways that we sin against God. Not only forgiven, but restored to a right relationship with God, a relationship that will last forever. I began by telling you how my pride and stupidity uh, led to me crashing my dad's car. Uh, I came out of that accident unscathed, but I was convinced that my dad was going to kill me. But when I apologized and he could really see that I was sorry, he hugged me and he said, I'm just glad you're okay. And when we turn to God through Jesus and say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry for my pride and my arrogance. I'm sorry for ignoring you and going my own way. When we turn away from our sin and turn back to God, he forgives us. He embraces us and he assures us that not only are we forgiven, but that our, our, our future is secure in Christ. Pride in its ultimate form, which is a hardening of the heart against God, is fatal. But it doesn't have to be that way. When our pride gives way to humility and we receive Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, Everything changes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a loving Father who wants the best for us. But you do allow us to genuinely say no to you. But Father, we recognize that it is supremely prideful and foolish to do that. We pray, Lord, that we will continue to say yes to you on a daily basis that we'll live our lives for you that we'll put our trust in your promises and in your son jesus christ father help us to be less prideful and more humble help us to put you first in our lives and we ask this in jesus name amen